Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm so glad you're here today. Today is a really exciting, fun episode, and I'm so glad you're here to listen. But I have one really important question for you that I need you to answer first. When was the last time that you played? Yes, I'm not talking about having fun. I'm literally talking about when was the last time that you played childlike play? Whether it be playing with Barbies, whether it be doing a puzzle, maybe it was riding a bike or doing something, maybe it was rolling down a hill. But when was the last time that you just played like a child? Maybe it was swinging on a swing set or swinging upside down on the monkey bars. Those are things I think of when I think of kind of childlike play. And I'll tell you, the reason why my next guest is here is because it had been a while for me um, that I kind of was playful. And he happened to be doing a facilitation at a workshop I was at, and I was instantly hooked. So my next guest, his name is Paul Sandbar. He's a coach. He's also a coach's coach, so he's a coach supervisor. And he's a workshop facilitator. He's also a performance poet. And I I saw him laying down some pretty amazing performance poetry, so he's super talented. Um, But his life and his career has been dedicated to the field of self-development. And you'll hear about the way he's pivoted in his career, how he found out um, what worked for him in his career by finding out a lot of what didn't work for him. And one of the things that wasn't working for him was, you'll see, Paul is full of energy and he's full of play and he's just a big kid at heart and he's so fun to be around And a corporate business environment was not working for him. And so one of the ways he figured out what he did want was by understanding what he didn't want. And you'll hear his journey of kind of vacillating from the business world into psychotherapy. He became a psychotherapist. And now he is a professional certified coach. He's a PCC coach. And he is certified by the International Coaching Federation Um, But one of his most interesting titles, I think, is Paul is a certified Lego serious play methods executive coach and team builder. And he really believes that you can use your hands to change your mind. And you'll hear Paul talk about this. So as we dive into the episode and as you get to meet Paul, you'll instantly see he's just Everyone needs a Paul in their life. He's so energetic. He's so playful. We had so much fun recording this episode that I went way longer than I typically do. But you know what? We were having so much fun. We lost track of time, which I absolutely love. So as you listen to this episode, I want to ask you, not only when the last time you had fun or you were playful, But how can you incorporate more play into your work environment if you're a leader? How can you work more play into your home environment if you're a parent, if you're a spouse? What will you do in the next day or in the next week to be more playful? 
And how will you get in touch with that child that's inside of you that just wants to have fun? What can you put on the back burner? What can you really just bring to the forefront? And I want you to think about when you were a kid, what made you happy? Whether it was coloring, maybe it was creating, maybe it was building something with wood, maybe it was riding your bike, or who knows, maybe it was laying on the grass looking up at the sky and making all kinds of images and cloud animals out of all the beautiful puffy clouds. Or maybe it was baking with your grandma. So whatever it was for you, I invite you to tap into some of that childlike wonder and invite more play into your life. So on that note, let's dive into this episode and let's have some fun with Paul Sandbar. Welcome to the Lead Your Life podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Barron. I'm obsessed with helping people feel more connected to themselves, the people they love, their work, and their purpose. I'm a leadership coach, speaker, self-improvement junkie, wife, mom of two teenagers, and 30-year corporate career woman turned entrepreneur. This podcast will give you the tools, insights, and real honest conversations that will help you lead your life so you can love your life. Let's dive in. Paul, happy Friday. I'm so glad we are doing this. And I'm so glad we've had the opportunity to sit and have this conversation. I've been wanting to do it for a while. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you, Natalie. I'm excited to be here and share and talk with you on this wonderful Friday. Yes. Well, I think this topic is so, so important, and we'll definitely dive in as to why it's so important, but the topic is around play, and it's just so interesting because as adults, I don't know what happens to us. I don't know if it's around 18 or 20 or... No, I mean, I think I was still playing around that time, but you know, I don't know what happens, but it seems like once we get into the business world... We kind of lose our our sense of wonder and our sense of play. And so that's what we're here to talk about today. So yeah, so I would love it if you would share um kind of a history about yourself, your past careers, and how you got started as a play coach. Sure. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. So I like to I like to refer to my journey as a fortunate series of overcorrections. And, and that in and of itself is a <laughs> playful way of explaining that I've made a lot of mistakes along the way, but I've learned from each and every one of them. And instead of getting, instead of closing up and getting more rigid about the failures, I learned to play with them and to roll with them and to grow from them. And so that's why play is such an integral facet in how I approach uh, work as, a, as, as an executive coach and workshop facilitator and, and Lego Serious Play Methods coach, which I'll share a little bit more about. But for me, it really goes back to what you just mentioned, this idea of what happens to us as we grow up that we lose this idea of, of play and of fun. And I'll tell you what it is. It's, yeah. it's old people like us, and I, I use that term loosely. <laughs> hey, now. Uh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but it, it's saying, you know, it's those, those elders 
um, you know, that wanted the best for us, that, that wanted us to mature and grow up and develop into well-rounded individuals that thought that the way to do that was to, to literally to slap the play out of us, to grow up, <laughs> stop playing around, you know, be an adult. Right. And so we we looked up to them and we thought, well, the way to be an adult is to is to let go of all of these things. But really what I'll get into in a moment more, the way to really be an adult, what I think is the best way to to adult is to is to mature and develop these ways of being routines and ideas about how to show up in the world but never lose sight of the fact that inside of us, there's a little kid that just wants to play. And so to be able to have the emotional agility to move back and forth between that adult role and that playful kid role, I think is the best way to show up. So briefly, I went like many young boys growing up with a father that wore a suit every day. I went to university. I, I thought, you know, business was the way to go. I quickly graduated. I worked in, in startups and in the business world. And I was miserable because I, I wasn't able to show up as my true self. I felt like I had to put on a mask and be very serious. And a lot of times it was, it was, a level of competition that didn't make me feel very good because there was mm. always a loser. And so I quickly realized that uh, I needed to be in a career path that I like to refer to as a win-win rather than a win-lose. There are wonderful careers that are based upon the fact that the harder I work, uh, that you know, if I'm in sales, that or in some other ways, some other industry, that sometimes the other person has to lose. And I think that those are really important and needed. They're just not for me. The yeah. type of career I wanted to be in was one where the harder I worked, the more the person that I got to work with got to win as well. And so I quickly moved away from my, one of the biggest overcorrections, moved away from the business world and got my master's in psychology and became a psychotherapist and worked very much, worked in that industry for, uh, for quite a while helping people become their true authentic selves. But I also, it was a little too serious for me. Yeah, I, I was going to say that is, that is the, <laughs> I was going to say that is the opposite of playing because Seriously. my, my husband's a psychotherapist and now that he's doing home sessions, I don't hear anything, but it is very serious. There's it not is. a lot of play going on there. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It's so important and so needed, right? Especially during these times. And I know we will touch upon the, the, the VUCA world that we yep. are living in in a moment. Um, and, you know, to be able to talk and share what's going on internally and, and repair yeah. some of those things that happened in our past is so important. But for me, it, it was, it felt good, but it wasn't quite right. So I, so on one end of the spectrum, I was in this business world within a suit and cutthroat and, and very demanding. And I overcorrected way into a very, uh, a very much more, you know, uh, in a role that I was serving people. But it just wasn't quite right. So I moved just a little bit back into the center and, and took that idea of, of wanting to keep playing and, and decided that it was executive coaching uh, focusing on 
creativity and innovation and bringing playful ideas into the workplace using my business background, using my psychology background and my passion for creativity, my, my medium, my, my, my creative passion of choices is performance poetry. Lots of people making lots of money in that. So I decided that, uh, <laughs> that, that it wasn't the right, quite right career. Um, I'm joking, of course, but I, I took that, <laughs> I took, you know, my passion for business, my passion for behavioral change and, and being able to be your authentic true self as a, as a therapist and my love of creativity. And, and, and I created my career and so much of, you know, I feel so fortunate to be able to have done that. Looking back, as I say, the, the fortunate series of overcorrections, I, I look back and go, yeah, I, I, it's amazing what I did. Of course, I struggled mightily for a very long time to integrate those things because back to the initial point, I was told to grow up to stop playing, to become an adult, yeah. to set those things aside, to, to push them down. But the truth is, is that the real me loved to go to the park and swing. That mm. is my special place. And for a very long time, I told myself that I couldn't go, couldn't go there. One, because it looked a little weird. <laughs> I do have the emotional intelligence to know that, you know, I don't, uh, a, a white male going to a park, you know, doesn't look very good. So I said, you know, I had to adjust and I went early in the mornings and late at night. But that was my special place where I could really think on my own and reflect about who I wanted to be and, and show up the way I wanted. And so now I try to bring that swing set everywhere I go where I am honoring that part of me that allows myself to show up authentically in the way that, that works well for me. And then, of course, try to share that way of being in, in the business world. So. Oh, Paul, I thank you so much for sharing your story. It's yeah. so powerful and so much resonates with me and I'm sure my listeners as well. You know, a couple of things that stand out for me is, you know, so many people talk about, well, I don't know what my passion is and I don't know how to find it. And there's so many people right now that are in career transition. And what I love about your story is, you know, I love the way you, first of all, you frame it up, you know, a series of uh, overcorrections, yeah, for, right? A fortunate, Fort fortunate of over, right. And I, and I love that because, Nowhere in there, nowhere in there is failure. You know, nowhere. Yes, you struggled. Absolutely. And, you know, I always kind of equate it to this bowling ball, right? That we're this bowling ball going down the alley and sometimes we're going to bump up against the gutter and and then we're going to correct and eventually we're going to get to where we need to go. We don't always understand it when we're in the moment. Rarely. <laughs> right? We don't we don't always know, but what I love is you were just taking steps to figure out, and, and for you, and I think for a lot of people, so much of figuring out what we do want is just kind of figuring out what we don't want. So much so. I, in fact, it's one of my favorite exercises that I, that I like to do with people. Is, uh, it's called the Handy Hells Bureaucrat, and it's a funny setup. Right. And if you don't mind, I'll explain this. it. Briefly. No, I love it. Go for it. So, so, uh, you're talking, we're both kind of talking about our values and about our core beliefs and, and who we want to be. 
it's often hard to just pinpoint that or know what our values are. Some of us have a, a good idea and we've maybe taken some, some assessments and done a lot of work to, to know that. Some of us haven't though. And so I find the easiest way to help people understand their core values is to know what they're not. And so I say, okay, imagine that it is the absolute worst job, worst day, worst everything. Of course, within reason, right? We, right. we you know, it, it is not really hell, but, but, um, but we all have our personal known hell of what a job would be like. And so yeah. we make a list of all those things, right? You know, oh, I have my boss standing over my shoulder 24 hours a day. They, they never let me leave my cubicle. They, I have to turn in a report. I have to do the, you know, and so you take that list and then you say, okay, so what is the opposite of that? And when we, mm -hmm. when we find out what the opposite is, then those are our values that are surfacing. Right. So, yeah. so, you know, freedom or autonomy may be some of the things that, that are coming up from those instances of, of that of that hellish landscape of our job. And so it's such yeah. a it's a fun activity, but it also really allows us to produce and know because it is different for everybody. Some people want maybe not a boss to stand over their shoulder, but they do they need that structure, right? Right. To to right. feel to to contain themselves, to feel like they're going on the right path. Um, some people, it would crush them, their souls. And so just learning, learning about that is, it's a super fun exercise that I like to do with my clients. No, I love that. And thank you. And of you. course, it's yeah. very playful. You know, you start off with, you start off with, all right, let's, let's all, let's go to hell together. <laughs> what does that look like? And it's even more fun when you do it with a group of people because they, yeah. they play off each other and, and it's, you know, back to the idea of play you start off with that playful uh, prompt and, and then we, we whittle it down and then we, we realize from that we are actually narrowing down our truest self. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's the type of work that you, I know you and I both love to do is, is supporting, support people to, to step into that. And of course, like you touched upon and like I shared with my uh, the, the, the title of the book that I'm forever writing, The Fortunate Series of Overcorrections, one of my favorite saying <laughs> is, is, is you win some and you learn some. Right? Yes. And so, yes. and it's, and it's so much of it is about reframing, right? Because it is, it's the stories that we tell ourselves when it comes down to it and when it's the same thing that happened, but when we shift our perspective and look at it and play with, with how the story went and how we want it to go in the future, it allows us to own it and, and to step fervently into whatever that future may hold for us. No, I really love that. And you know, Paul, as you're, as you're sharing, I mean, I'm even finding myself just sitting here with you being so happy, uh, you know, just just feeling playful and, you know, just the banter and the laughter that we're having. And and I, I have this visual of you on a swing. And I have to tell you, it's so powerful for me because 
that was one of the things I loved to do. There were two things on the playground. Is one, I loved swinging and then jumping out of the swing. Right. I can't see. do it anymore, but I love it. I can't do it either. <laughs> my, I, I tried it once and my ankles were like, please don't ever do that again. <laughs> but that was my favorite thing to do on the playground was like, right. you know, and then you'd measure in the sand, like how far you That's got. Right. And yeah. right. like, yeah. And the other thing was swinging on the monkey bars. Like yeah. I used to be able to do all kinds of tricks and backflips and all that kind of stuff. So... I'm curious from your perspective, well, and, you know, kind of putting on your psychotherapist hat as well. From childhood, we are literally given these messages about play. Like you said, stop playing around, you know, get your work done. You can play after you work. I know for me, a lot of those messages um, have haunted me into my adulthood because, I do not play as much as I would like. And one of the reasons why is because I grew up in an environment where literally it was like, you can play when all of your work is done, when all of your chores are done. And as we know in work, the the list is never ending. And so I always always feel like, and I think so many women in particular, I I know it's not just women, but I think so many women feel like, I can't play. I can't sit down. I can't enjoy myself. I can't attend to my self-care. But I literally just can't have fun until this laundry list of laundry and yeah. work and kids and and cleaning the house and doing this and doing that and preparing meals and and planning the kids' birthday party and all this stuff is done. So what do you I mean, what do you have to share about that? Yeah. Um, you know, my, so much goes out to, to you and, and to women who of course have multiple jobs, uh, you know, and and men of course as well. But, but I know, you know, being around a lot of wonderful, powerful women that, that have, that I, you know, that I work with and then, and then I, you know, oftentimes get to, to shut off and, and do my, and play in the way that I do. And, and they, you know, may go to their second job. And I, I, I try to, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, don't have kids, but, um, but I, I certainly am one. Um, <laughs> my partner will, will probably attest to that. Um, but, um, you know, so it is the idea and, um, it's, a Stuart Brown, who, um, is, is widely considered as, uh, the forefather of play. Um, he wrote, book literally called play um and he he's been uh, known with some other researchers to say that the the opposite of play is not work the opposite of play is depression and Mm. so and so we we are given these stories growing up that like you said you can you can play after you do your work Right. And then we may find ourselves in roles like we have, you know, I'm a, a solopreneur where where the work never ends. Right. And right. so that that must mean, you know, if I if the story, you know, to align the story up that I never get to play. And so mm-hmm. that, you know, that potentially I can tell you it is depressing when I when I have that mindset, it is it's a weight. And so how do we, how do we change that? 
one, we have to change the way we look at that story. And in order to do that, we have to look at the way in which um, we, we inform ourselves what play is, right? And so, and so you know, e- even, you know, thinking about times in our life where somebody took something that was work and made a game out of it, right? Made, made work fun, you know? Mm-hmm you know, timed or, or, or said, you know, pick up your toys, but do it in a way that, that does this, right? So, so combining work with play and doing it in a way that, uh, that allows you to feel like you're getting some enjoyment out of it is one way to do it. It is difficult, though, because it is such a mindset shift to go mm-hmm. from these are two separate events to how do I be playful in the way that I may, that I approach this or that, and and one way of looking at it is uh, Simon Sinek, uh, his most recent book, uh, The Infinite Game, taken from research from uh, another gentleman, talking about how we look at games, and and the truth is is that life is a game, right? We all quote unquote lose at the end, um, <laughs> right? But but. And so how are we going to play that game of life? And yeah. so, so many of us, me included for a great deal of time and certain parts uh, around how I, how I live, look at it as a finite game. And in a, in a finite game, the game ends. There is a clear loser. And oftentimes the loser uh, may be you. And what happens is, is, we start to develop a way of needing to win, to satisfy our egos, to, to get mm. things, right? When I, when I do this, I will be able to buy that and that trophy. And I'm not saying, you know, cars and houses and that's, uh, you know, I'm not like some minimalist that, that says we shouldn't have all these things. Right. It is, it is how we go about attaining them and what they mean to us. And so if we look at, uh, winning and games as finite, then we try, then we, we get these trophies and we're, we look back at them. We tend to like look at the world, the easiest way to say it with a scarcity mindset, because mm-hmm. we look at it in the past because we, we're hoarding our, our winnings. When you view the world as an infinite game and an infinite game means the game never ends the people who are playing it are changing the rules in the middle of the game to keep the game going, to keep it infinite. Then we look at it from the growth type of mindset. We look at it from an abundant mindset where, where it is said that if you have a, a finite way of looking, then you need to be trained because you're trained to look at the world in a certain way. But when you have an infinite way to look at the game of life or of work or of of doing a particular job, then really you just need education because education Mm. allows you to look at it in a different way that allows you to keep growing, right? Because, Because in this world that we're in, this VUCA world, this volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous world that we are living in now, we will close up 
and we will look mm-hmm. at it. We'll, we'll just try to hoard everything because because it is so ambiguous, it is so complex, and it is, you know, quite honestly, kind of scary right now. And so, yeah. how we look at this, how we look at the way we play, really changes the way we live, and it allows us to have a a playful way. You know, you mentioned it about me. You you know, we are all around people who have a certain way of living that just is joyful. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's so much more fun to be around them. <laughs> right. right. No, it is. You know, I mean, not to get too woo-woo, right? But oh, it's like- that's where I you live. Can, so right, join but you can, me here and play with but, me. <laughs> <laughs> but you can really feel people's energy that are really truly grounded- they're present, they're grateful, they're, oh, yeah. you know, ju- I mean, you can feel, you can really feel that. And I, I love what you talk about being trained versus being educated. And it, it's so interesting because literally last night, my daughter, my oldest daughter, who wants to be a philosophy professor, she's a junior <laughs> in college. Awesome. We were, we were, she was, she was reading Camus okay. and we were having this philosophical conversation and she talked about she was reading out of The Rebel, and the quotes she was reading was about the joy of travel and how, as adults, when we travel, it really strips us of all of these egocentric things, like our status and where who we oh, are yeah. and what we do, and and we become a passenger in this world, and we become playful. We start to notice things. We start to notice the Spanish cabaret dancer, and we start to notice all of these things. And what was so beautiful about what was she was sharing, because we as a family have a love for travel, and it kind of helped uh, articulate and validate this feeling that we've all had around it, but we couldn't really verbalize it before, but he he specifically spoke about how when you strip all of those things away and you're a traveler in someone else's land, that the beauty of that is the essence of it is that you're not happy, but what makes people happy is being fully present. Right. And that's what I feel so much of us have lost. Like you talk about the attainment. Like we're always like, okay, well, and and I coach so many women in my private practice who are CEOs, are CMOs, have climbed Everest, right? And they and they get up there. It's kind of lonely. <laughs> yeah, and it's windy. It's, it's windy. People grabbing it's cold. at your feet. <laughs> <laughs> right, there's Pull people grabbing at your feet. And you know what? I, I thought it was going to be great to to summit and to get up here and i don't really feel any more fulfilled yeah yeah because you know what i was so determined to get here that i realized i didn't enjoy the journey on the way here and i missed all of these things i maybe put kids on hold i maybe made choices to travel when i wanted to be spend more time with my husband i lost out on being, you know, at my daughter's school play. And I lost out on all these moments to get to this location. And guess what? It's not all that it's cracked up to be because it's all external rewards. Right. 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 
Yeah, I'm. I love cliches. <laughs> Um, I am forever. I, the, the, the cliche that I'm trying to create out of cliches. I also love being meta, um, is that cliches are cliches because they won the vote, right? I I'm so tired of people like, I don't, I I'm kidding, but to to like, I I don't want to be cliche. And I'm like, why not? It's cliche because it's really good. Right. right. Because like if there was a quote, you know, voting system, you know, it, <laughs> it won the popular vote. Right. right. Um, um, and so and I say that because uh, not that I, you know, I, I, I do like being cliches, but to get to the to the cliche, I was going to say it really is the journey, mm-hmm. not the destination. It really is. And I'm going to say th- silly cliche things and be OK with it. Right. There used to be a time where where I was I wanted to say something that was silly or cliche or or, you know, that that would, uh, as I like to say, scratch the record. Um, being a being a kid that, that loved uh, music <laughs> that, that played in that way, um, yeah. because because so much of what we do is just is like the steady drum beat. And we do what we do because that's what we've always done, because that's what is told to us that that's how we get to, to where we should go. And, and stopping and reflecting or traveling to a, a different land and having to relearn or, or even showing up and having the ability to just say, I'm going to be this person and I can be that person because nobody knows who I am, right? You know, um, and it's it's just really interesting. And in a small little side note on travel, I read uh, yesterday or, or earlier today that Qantas Airlines, the the Australian um, international uh, airline, they can't travel in, internationally. They have all these restrictions right now, and so they decided to have a plane to nowhere, a trip to nowhere. And it was a seven-hour flight that left Sydney and traveled all around Australia and went in diff- you know, a different path and saw different parts of, of Australasia and Australia, but didn't really go anywhere. It came all the way back after seven hours to the same spot. It sold out in 10 minutes, the fastest travel uh itinerary ever in Qantas Airways and that just shows that people are 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 one you know we when we travel so much that we're like oh god I've got to travel again but but there's certain things that we we love about it and it was a playful adventure that adults got to Mm -hmm. go on and and do things that you know normally we think of as you know painful but yeah. there are certain things, like you said, like going and traveling. And yeah. um, I was just like, yeah, sold out in 10 minutes. People literally yeah. getting in a plane, <laughs> flying I, for seven hours and coming back to the same spot. I I, I think that I love that story. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I think, you know, when we kind of talk about how adults evolve and we're brought up with these stories and then all of a sudden we get in the business world I mean, I even noticed it with myself. You know, I worked for one of the biggest brands in the world, probably one of the most playful and fun brands in the world. And I can think of maybe a handful of meetings where we actually like played. And, you know, we had like some kind of team building, but the rest of our meetings were so boring. 
And it's so funny because my daughter, who is a giant social activist, and she works for um, a youth-led climate strike, uh, climate organization. She's responsible. They've she's personally set up. You know, doing a little brag moment here. Uh, <laughs> Go thir- for it. <laughs> thir- thirty nonprofit, uh, thirty well organizations all over the world in thirty different countries, and she's been responsible for that herself. And she runs Zoom meetings. And she's seen my Zoom meetings for work, and she's running Zoom meetings, and she's doing icebreakers, and they're playing, and they're being playful, and they're using it as a as a way to build camaraderie and build sure. connection. And she says to me, Mom, what is it? Why, why are adult meetings so boring? Right. Why are business meetings so boring? What happens to you guys? What, what happens to adults? Like, why... Why can't they have more fun? And, you know, there's a part of me, it's like my initial reaction was like, well, that's just business. But then I started questioning myself, like, is it? I mean, is it really? And then I look at the brands that I'm attracted to. I used to have to travel a lot in my previous role. I will tell you, it wasn't as fancy. You didn't get the greatest food. But I always traveled Southwest. Mm. And the reason why was... They were not boring. They weren't right. stuffy. And I had my favorite flight attendants on my favorite routes. Sure. And I would well, book they let those. them have they let them bring their attitude yes. and their and their full selves to like doing their full job. stand-up comedy. Like right. doing full stand-up comedy. And like adults, business travelers are laughing their butts off, yeah. having a good time on what would normally be a boring business trip. And it made me realize and think about this conversation of like, why aren't we having more fun in business? Why aren't we trying harder as leaders, as owners to incorporate more fun into our businesses and to our lives as individuals who are working in organizations? Right. You know, it starts at the top. I believe Herb Kelleher, the the CEO uh, or one-time CEO of Southwest, that was he created that culture of playfulness and of of innovative ways and not squashing these people's ideas, right? So let me let me tie some some loose ends yeah. together here. So there was somebody at Qantas that had an idea and it was could have been the dumbest idea ever. <laughs> hey, let's have a flight that goes nowhere. Right. Right. Who wants yeah. to be the person that suggests that, right? Yeah, I don't know that that would have been my idea. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so um it but it starts at the top. Somewhere and I and I and you know I don't think either of us are, you know, we're not, Southwest or Qantas are not, uh, they're not, hopefully not, not getting anything from this, but, but <laughs> just knowing that people there are, are doing something that is right. Um, and I'll, and I'll get into this notion of, of, of yeah. EX, of, of employee experience in just a moment. But there was a culture that was set up that said, you are free to be you, to share mm-hmm an idea, even the dumbest idea. And this comes from something that has uh, really grown so much in the last few years, which is, which is called uh, psychological safety. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, an author, a gentleman who wrote a recent book 
called the four stages of psychological safety. He, he, he says psychological safety means it's not expensive to be yourself. And so when we feel psychologically safe to share, to be ourselves in, in our job, what happens is that we can say silly things and they can turn into a, a flight to nowhere that just made, you know, some, the, the CFO of Qantas really happy, right? Um, yeah. or, or, you know, somewhere Herb Kelleher created a culture at Southwest that said, they said, you know what? We have these amazing people that are doing that are doing a wonderful job to keep us safe and keep the planes in the air and to and to keep everybody the passengers feeling feeling good but they also have these they also have this part of themselves that that we're not letting them be who them be themselves so let's let them they can probably be do both and you know mm -hmm. what it created a customer for life for you and it created mm -hmm. an, uh, a way of being and those flight attendants got to show up and they knew it wasn't expensive to be themselves. In fact, they were rewarded for it and they got to show up and be themselves. And so much of, of it comes into this ability to feel safe, to share your ideas, to feel included, not just in, uh, included, but to feel like you can challenge the status mm -hmm. quo. And that we, we are told as young people not to do that. And then we're, and then we're also told to stop playing. So we combine mm -hmm. those two things and, and we grow up and become really boring adults. I mean, obviously we find other ways to play and different things to do, but when we're able to integrate that playfulness, when we're able to be in a, in a, a job that allows us to show up and be ourselves, then it, it's shown. It shows both in the attitude and the way of, of the company, and it also shows in the bottom line. And so back to this idea of, of employee experience, that's EX. We, we've gone through a bunch of Xs over the last decade or so. The most recent one was CX, customer experience. What can we do for our customers that allows us to feel like they are part of us? Southwest did an amazing job at that. Now, the, the newest thing is the employee experience. Employees uh, these days, especially our younger uh, professionals that are a few steps behind us on the career journey, they, they say, you know what, I, don't, I will take less money for mm -hmm. more paternity or maternity leave. Yeah. I, will, I will do this if, I can, if I'm working for a company that has their values that are aligned with me. Right, yeah. these the the millennials and the Generation Z, they get they get they get maligned in so many different ways. I got to tell you, I've been a millennial and a Gen Z <laughs> since before they were born because for me it was <laughs> always about the experience, right? Yeah, you know the yeah. the when you are happy, <laughs> then good things happen, and so and so nowadays it's it's this employee experience that people are realizing they have to, you know, why our why, you know, executive coaching and why different team building and why, why something like Lego Serious Play is growing is because companies are realizing that their employees, they are there more than their home. And so mm -hmm. 
they need to be they need to enjoy being at work and it starts at the top with the culture the edgar shine the the amazing forefather of culture in the workplace basically said that it starts at the top and and it and it goes down from there the the leaders set the culture and the leaders set a playful innovative creative way of working then everybody below them feels psychologically safe to be that way as well and that's where innovation and creativity comes from so i want to ask you one quick question sure. what do you do if you want to be more playful and you kind of want to start to explore this more but you work in an organization, maybe a law firm, where sure. it traditionally wouldn't be very playful, or an accountant, you know, it, it, like you, what if you work in a very traditionally serious yeah. um, organization? How, what do you tell the employee who doesn't work in a culture that's playful? You know, that is tough because, it, like I said, it does start at the top. So hopefully, hopefully their boss or somebody above them in the corporate ladder is willing to be open to new ideas. Mm -hmm. And um, and so if they're not, and they really feel like that, embodying that playful way of being is important, then, you know, I got to be honest, they may not be in the right, in the right company, but there are different ways to do it. Like I said, if there is a, you know, uh, one thing, I'm a big fan of uh, an organizational psychologist uh, by the name of uh, Dan Cable. He wrote a book called Alive at Work, right? Great title. We want to be alive. We want to show up as we are. And, and, he, and he talks about a, a case study. Um, and I promise I'm getting to your point, uh, to your question. He, he brought up a, a case study of, it was a nonprofit organization. I forgot exactly which one. There were people that did particular jobs and, you know, their job title were sponsorship coordinators. I think it was United Way. Their job and their, their job titles were very much aligned with what they did, right? But only a certain facet of what they did. You know, I called people to get sponsors to do this, right? Or I, you know, helped, you know, manage the finances to do that. But what it didn't allow them to do is to is to show up as that full person of, of why they did, why they called and tried to get sponsorships or why they they worked extra hours to tally the numbers to make sure, you know. And so for United Way, they were all there because they had this mission of wanting to serve, to serve kids, to serve underserved populations. And so what Dan Cable you know, he went in and, and helped facilitate this company-wide mission to allow them to give themselves their own job titles. And, and, and everybody came up with different, fun, unique, different ways about doing it. What happened was, is that, one, everybody got together and they, you know, initially came up with their ideas and they shared that, well, I'm the, I'm the director of childlike, you know, blah, 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 or I'm, everybody shared, everybody got to understand why, because some people's job titles had much more to do with who they were or what was important to them than the actual function that they did. 
Right. Then the and then the, they took it a step further as they actually allowed them to make bus- their business cards with these new job titles. And so they went out into the field that. and said, "This is what I do. I'm the I'm the you know the assistant to the traveling you know uh, something or other." And and that created a whole conversation around why they did what they did. And so to answer your question, it, it could be something that was a, I, I forgot the cost that it took for them to do that. It was minimal. Right. But what it did was is it created a, a, a sense of belongingness to each other and it, and it reminded them of why they were doing it. Yeah. And so it was a small thing. And I've done that same exercise with a company of four, right? So if I'm a team leader, you know, maybe this person has a few people next to them say, you know what, we're going to create our own job titles yeah. and, and it's playful and it's fun and you connect and you, and you show up in a, in a different way and you get to know your colleagues in new ways. And it was a simple, fun activity. And so I guess to, to, to come back to your point, it's not, it doesn't have to be this big grandiose thing. It doesn't have to be this yeah. major shift. Yeah. What did you do as a child that brought you joy? That is the key for us. For me, it was swinging. And for me, swinging is the metaphor, right? Because I know that I'm, I got to go forward but unable to keep going forward, I also have to go back. And so it's mm-hmm. that pendulum, right? Mm-hmm. That, that success and failure, that's, that is my, that's how I tap into my job. For other people, it may be a different thing. But just to remember that we can take that and, and infuse it in different ways uh, in our jobs and in our life. So. I love so much of what you're saying, Paul. Um, a couple of things I want to follow up on. So... This is going a little ways back, but I love what you said about psychological safety. I had never heard it the way you said it before about where it becomes not expensive to be ourselves. And I think about that on such a holistic pers- in such a holistic perspective, meaning not only at work, but in our relationships, oh, yeah. in our friendships, at home, with our kids, and for our kids. And I loved what you said about also, um, you know, how we're taught not to challenge and we're taught not to to do all of these things. And one of the things I've done as a parent, and I know everyone parents differently, I'm not here to preach, but one of the things that I have done is I have given my kids the freedom to challenge. Yeah. I have given my kids the freedom to um, to challenge me, to question me, to to be playful, to, you know, it's one of the things that I've really tried to instill in them because I see how the way I was raised has had an effect on me, you know, and, and going back to being, you know, to the millennials, you know, so there's obviously a lot of generations in the workforce right now. And I completely agree with you. I was raised, I mean, I spent 27 years in one job thinking that I was going to retire. And then when I would when I was going to retire, I was going to have fun and go on vacation. And I think that's so many of my generation's philosophies. You right. know, you work hard. That was our parents' philosophy. Working, working for retirement. You work to retire. <laughs> How about and, we you know, take little retirements all the time? 
<laughs> right. And then, and then like, I think our, you know, our generation got a little bit better. We're like, sure. oh, well, we'll take, we'll take yearly vacations. Yeah. What well, two weeks out of 52 weeks a year, we're going to have fun. And then we work our tails off to go on va- vacation. And then we work our butts off when we get back from vacation. And literally people are like, I need a vacation from my vacation because I'm exhausted. And I think millennials have it right. Yeah. They're like, you know what? Give me a balanced work day. Let me have enjoy, you know, not to be cliche, but let me enjoy the journey. Let me have fun along the way. I'm not going to wait my whole life to have fun and to retire before I start traveling the world and enjoying myself and and being playful. I think they've got it right. Yeah. There's actually a, a, a quite awesome research that talks about vacations. And uh, it, was a, it was a great study. And what they found is, is that people actually enjoy the anticipation of the vacation more yeah. than the vacation itself. I can relate so, to that. Right, yeah. right. Because we're yeah. like, two more weeks and then I'm going, and then I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm going to the mountains, right? You know, another month and I'm, or, you know, everybody's working for the weekend, right? Um, <laughs> and so, and so if we realize that, that is actually the anticipation of the vacation more than the vacation itself. What does that tell us? It tells us to take shorter vacations so and have more of them so that we can have more, so that we can feel good about anticipating more of what we have joy around and, and really learn that ability to, to let go, right? Because that's yeah. the other thing that I struggle with mightily. Um, and so many of us do, especially this year when we're all working from home, when, when, our, uh, when a vacation is to the hallway. Um, and so, <laughs> you know, I'm going to the backyard, woo, you know, bring your passport. Um, but uh, so, but, you know, what it tells us is that we really need to allow ourselves to, to take those breaks right? You know, it really is self-care, but self-care can be play as well. It can be, we can allow ourselves to really disengage and go do things that bring us joy and to tap into that childlike wonder. You know, the, what you mentioned, you know, bringing back the psychological safety and, and the way that, um, the way that sometimes talked about the, the younger um, populations, you know, people looking upon them in different ways. You know, there is something to be said, especially in our business, uh, about about coming from a childlike mindset or coming from an uh, an unknowing way. That mm-hmm. that when we think we know something, we oftentimes will put a a vision on it or we'll keep it constrained. But when we come in with this unknowing mindset, the learner's mindset, which is used mm-hmm. a lot now then we're able to see new things, right? And so we got to depend on those young people, right? Those, the young people, they're going, these meetings are boring. You know, let's do something different. Let's, right. let's because they don't, they've, all, they've been told what they should do. And they go, well, that's, that doesn't seem fun. We're going to do something different. And mm-hmm. that's where, and that's, that is, you know, back to what I was saying, allowing that inner child, allowing, because it's it's within all of us. So many of us try to kill it, <laughs> but it, it cannot, it, it's, it cannot be destroyed. Um, yeah. It's just down there, you know, shackled, right? And so if we let that kid out, yeah, amazing things could happen. 
Well, I think that's a great segue into you being a Lego serious play (laughs) methods executive coach, which which I think for my generation sounds so contradictory, right? Right, Lego serious play. Yeah, serious play is a a methodology. Um, Right. But what I like to say is that um, there's for most of us, there's only a small period in our lives where we don't like Legos. And that's when we have kids of the age that we step on them. Right. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Right. You're like, uh, but other than that, generally people have this positive mental image of Legos. I know I did. I know for me growing up as a kid with just tremendous amounts of anxiety, the only time that I felt good, like I'm talking good was when I was playing. And that was um, when I was in what is, what is known as a flow state, um, mm-hmm. you know, taken from a, a gentleman, uh, Mikhail Csikszentmihalyi. Don't try to spell it. <laughs> um, I, I see or, his name and I have his book yeah, and I can never pronounce his right, last right, name. So right. you did much better than I would have. Um, but this flow state, which is this way of being where you're present, single-minded, where uh, things are a bit difficult, but not too difficult. Things are a bit things are a bit easy, but not too easy. Where you you're in this this present moment awareness, which other people call mindfulness, uh, where you are in quote unquote the zone. We talk about it with athletes, right? He's in the zone. He was, you know. We talk about mm-hmm. it mostly mostly with athletics, but that state of mind is possible. That's mm-hmm. what I felt when I was 11. That's what I've been trying to get back to for the last 35 years. <laughs> and, and, and that's what I help people do in the workplace is to get into that flow state. So what Legos are, they're easy. There's, they snap together. They don't, you know, you can tell. This one snaps to that one. There's a few tricky ones, but, but they're pretty straightforward. So that it, that's that easy part. We want to try to make them complex because in our minds, we want to build something. We, our, our minds, we want to make things smooth and make things, make things rounded and, and perfect. But what I tell people is, is you cannot make Lego, when you put Legos together, you cannot perfect them because they're still cubic. So you have to let go of that perfection. And mm-hmm. so what happens is, is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a, a sidestep to explain a little bit about using our hands to change our minds. A very, very, very long time ago, way before you and I were born, I'm talking like a very long time ago, we used our two hands. We were thirsty. And instead of putting our head in the river, I'm talking a real long time ago here, folks. Right. <laughs> instead of putting our head in the river, we used our hands and we made a cup and we took a drink with a, with a cup. We got tired of doing that. And so we looked at a tree and we whittled a cup out of a tree. And we got tired of doing that because it took a long time to do that. Fast forward a few millennia, you know, the Industrial Revolution came. We started, you know, using metals to build cups. Then we have plastic. Now, in the last 50 years with the technological revolution, we don't use our hands as much as we did in the past. We tap on keyboards, we swipe left and right, but our hands are intrinsically connected 
to the part of our brains that is around critical thinking, around imagination, mm. around doing things differently. Because we've been using these two tools to create our existence since the dawn of man. Mm-hmm. But now we go into the workplace and we have a big whiteboard and we may scribble some notes and we may sit there and think and type. And that's all important. But if we don't use these two tools, we are not using our full brain. And so what we do with Legos is I ask people to construct their thoughts by building them. And so what happens is, is when they build a thought, and let's say it's in a group of people, they build a thought and they're holding their thought in their hand. One, they're better able to hold on to more of the ideas because the thought is now tangible like it Mm -hmm. used to be in the past, right? When we had books that we held up, we still use them, but now it's so much of it is digital. So we have these thoughts that we're able to talk about. Better yet, other people are able to ask us questions of these thoughts, but instead of asking, instead of potentially critiquing us, they're asking the build themselves. And it's kind of hard to do, you know, without having visual props. But what happens is, is that deeper conversations come about, one, from this notion of, of dissociation, right? When we are not associated so much into our thoughts, when that person who shared this idea about Qantas taking a trip to nowhere, they may have felt a little trepidation. When they build the thought, they're not as associated into the feelings as much. So if somebody critiques them, they don't feel Mm. quite as bad. They can depersonalize it. They can depersonalize it. Mm -hmm. Then suddenly, if you do this in a team or a group, everybody's thoughts become this physical three-dimensional construct that you then connect together. So they're working together. And so after a two-hour, three-hour workshop, instead of having a whiteboard with a bunch of notes, which are needed and important, and we do use those in LEGO serious play methods, we have this three-dimensional physical representation of our conversation. And what happens is, is that people are able to move things around. People are able to connect. Well, this, this, my thought about how we should do this is connected to your thought. And so everybody gets to step back and take this 30,000 foot view of this conversation and people remember it more because it's not these ideas that are floating off into the ether. And, and what we're able to take away is this ability to make these connections with other people and make connections to our conversations. And it's powerful and it's also playful and fun and people get a little uncomfortable because they're like, wait, we're going to play with toys today? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes, we so are. <laughs> I, yeah, so I want to I want to share my personal experience because yes. you and I right. met mm-hmm. at a workshop and you were the facilitator for for this. And I will tell you, I've been in so many meetings where I have contributed my ideas to a whiteboard. I couldn't tell you what those ideas were if they were even two weeks ago, right. you know? Oh, let alone a year ago. And I will tell you, I have my, my little <laughs> I Lego. I have my little Lego here. <laughs> and I will tell you, I felt silly when I, I just total honesty, you know, we got this package, you said open it up and you gave us instructions on what to do. 
And I felt silly as an adult sitting there playing with Legos. And it, it was an interesting mindset shift for me of like, this is silly. This is irresponsible. Right? Oh, yeah. so, and I, I realized that those were all things I was told when I was little about playing because we were supposed to be working. Right. And it was just interesting because I had to challenge my own mindset about it. And then you gave us the instructions about basically a personal journey for us and, and build this. Interesting because I can still even remember some of your instructions, which I can't remember those things <laughs> about other things. Sure. Or other work things. And I still remember the symbolism of what I built here. Right. And it still has meaning to me. I can still remember it. It was, you know, it was about my entrepreneurial journey. And it was right as I was launching my business. Right. And literally every little piece has a meaning to me. And I can still recall it. And I can still... And I have this sitting mm-hmm. on my desk uh. in in a place where I can see it. And I literally often reflect back on this moment because it did have meaning to me. And you created that for the group that I was with. And it was so powerful. And it was one of the main reasons why I wanted to have you on the show is because it was this very memorable moment for me. And like I said, I reflect back and I look at that so many times. And I will tell you, even if you go back and listen to episode one of my podcast, I have become more playful. Like I have started to shed my own corporate culture of what was expected of me. I'm starting to have more fun in my business and be more playful and be more bold and audacious and just having fun. And I will tell you, it makes my days so much more meaningful and fulfilling and enjoyable and, and just fun, you know? Totally. Yeah. And it is, you know, back to that, that build that you created, we call them artifacts, right? Because, because they have a story, they have meaning. And so much of what we do is we try to create meaning in the world. And when we can actually create a physical representation, which you did, you can take that with you and it lasts and, and you just embodying that and, and, and taking and just owning this playful way that you want to show up it's it's awesome to see and it's why i'm here you know it's why i i pushed through my own my own limiting beliefs around what it meant to play and it just you know so much of it is missing especially now where in this environment we close up more right because it's survival mm-hmm. we we go we we hold more truth to what we've always done but the but the lasting impact is is it is that is the time that we need to allow ourselves to play more yeah yeah and you know i'm going to ask you your last um thoughts because sure. um before we go but i also want to make an observation sure so normally my podcast interviews are somewhere between 35 to 45 minutes. I literally, this was the first time I looked down at the timer (laughs) and we have been talking for an hour. And I will tell you, I've been having so much fun in this interview and it's just, I feel like a kid, like having fun that I lost track of time. Low states. And what what it is. 
Right. And what a powerful, amazing experience that is for us to take to our businesses, to our work, to our home life of being fully present, having fun. It just makes things so much more interesting. And doing work at the same time, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, right. I know that's what you mean, but I mean, but that's what it is, right? It, it isn't yeah. an either or, right? You know, the opposite exactly. of play is sadly depression is not work, you know? Um, and, and, and so it work is, can be combined. And yeah, you, you said it best. It, it is, this is the first time we've noticed the time and, and wouldn't it be lovely if, we had more experiences like that. And uh, the whole time I've been talking about it doing by ourselves, but the truth is, is that we are a social animal and, and this experience between each other, even distance, right? Um, it, yeah. it is possible, right? It's not, you know, vir- it is possible to do this virtually as well. So. I, I agree. And like, and, and I love that you said, you know, cause we did, I mean, Boom. I, did I get something checked off my list today? Yeah, I got a, I got a podcast recording with Paul checked off my list today. Awesome. But the point is, is I could have done that one of two ways. I could have grudged through it, and, you know, or I should say, I could have drudged through it and, you know, and done it and just been something I checked off my list. But like, I've had so much fun with you and I've so appreciated our time together. Yay. Paul, what, la- yeah, like, what last <laughs> words or lessons or insights would you like to leave my listeners with? Oh boy, so many things. It really just just remember what you did, what you did as a child. I, I often tell people when I'm when I bring up, you know, I'm an executive coach and I bring creativity and play into the workplace, and 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 then they look at me funny when they see the Legos, and and I often say, you know, um, were you having more fun when you were nine? Or when you were 39. <laughs> and yeah. the majority, they were like, yeah, I'd probably have more fun than that when I was nine. I'm like, cool. What were you doing back then? You were mm-hmm. playing. And play mm-hmm. is so important to create. To, it, it builds our minds. There's so many quotes around people that talk about when you see kids play. And play has sadly been removed a lot from, from, from the, our lives because we're so scheduled. And so, you know, whether if you are somebody that schedules something a lot, just remember to schedule some time for play. It's mm. important. I love that. I think that's yeah. a great place to conclude, Paul. Yeah. It was literally a pure pleasure. Awesome. I'm so glad you were here. I had so much fun, which is so great because that's the, the topic was play, <laughs> right? And, right. Um, you know, I really invite my listeners to think about how you can be more playful with yourself, more playful in your relationships, more, you know, whether that be with your spouse, your partner, your kids, more playful at work and just have fun along the way. So it's going to be a little uncomfortable. Right? Yeah. I, That's what I agree. Is this, all about. this was uncomfortable for me, yeah. but I will tell you it, it had meaning and um, it was, it's so valuable and I'll always remember it. So Paul, thank you for your time. I really thank appreciate so much, it. Yeah. Take care. Take care. Thank you so much for being here today and listening to the Lead Your Life podcast. My invitation to you is that you do one thing today to move toward a more meaningful, fulfilling life for yourself. Today, you have the opportunity to challenge your mindset or have a meaningful conversation 
or take one action step towards your goals. So what are you waiting for? It would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and leave a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next week. Until then, don't wait till tomorrow. Be your best self now. Thank you.